your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And uh, we're continuing our series called Tales of Wonder. And uh, I, I just got new glasses, so I'm trying to... They are progressives, and I'm trying to learn how to use them. So hopefully you'll help me out. And if I say anything bad here, uh, it's not because it's cause I can't see. <laughs> okay, so we're continuing our series on Tales of Wonder. It's about God. It's about how God likes to surprise us in the middle of our story. Okay, good. I just got to get this closer. Mm, no, it's good. I. <laughs> they told me this would be a trouble, but anyway, uh, I have other other ones. But um, I'm trying. No, I don't. It's okay. What happens is, and those of you who have glasses, I have progressives now, but I have also office ones. But when I'm preaching with office ones, I can't see far, and you're all it's blurry but I can see my notes, right? So then there's this always taking off and on, off and on, off and on. But, so I thought I would try this, and hopefully it'll be better. Okay, so enough of me. Happy Mother's Day to everybody, to all mothers and mothers-to-be. Now, the book of Acts is filled with testimonies of ordinary people who have been transformed through encounters with an extraordinary God. God didn't just leave their lives up to chance. He regularly interrupted them with miracles, promises, and breakthroughs. And when we learn to anticipate God's interruptions, we learn about his nature. You weren't meant to live a boring, ordinary life. Now, this doesn't mean that ordinary, boring things are bad or wrong. You don't go running around trying to stir up some extra excitement. Instead, learn how to anticipate the surprises of God's presence. He wants to join you in your ordinary, everyday life and make it wonderful. Now, before we look at really the big pa- the passage that I'm going to concentrate on, I'd like you to, it's at Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 23. As time passed, the Jews plotted to, together to kill Saul. But it was revealed to him what they were about to do. They closely guarded the gates of the city and tracked his every movement so they could kill him. But during the night, some of Saul's converts helped him escape by lowering him down through an opening in the wall, hiding him in a woven basket. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he attempted to introduce himself to the fellowship of believers, but everyone was afraid of him because they doubted he was a true disciple. Barnabas came to his defense and brought him before the apostles. Saul shared with them his supernatural experience of seeing the Lord, who spoke with him on the road to Damascus. Barnabas also told them how boldly Saul preached through the city in Jesus' mighty name. Then they accepted him as a brother, and they remained with him, joining with them wherever they went in in, in Jerusalem, boldly preaching in the power and the authority of Jesus. He openly debated with some of the Jews who had adopted the Greek culture, yet they were secretly plotting to murder him. When the believers discovered their scheme, they smuggled him out of the city and took him to Caesarea and then sent him on to Tarsus. After this, the church all over Judea, Galilee, 
and Samaria experienced a season of peace. The congregations grew larger and larger with the believers empowered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. They worshipped God in wonder and awe and walked in the fear of the Lord. As Peter was ministering from place to place, now it switches from Paul's situation to Peter. As Peter was mission, ministering from place to place, he visited God's devoted ones in the village of Lydia. He met a man there named Anarius, who has been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Ananias, Jesus, the anointed one, instantly and divinely heals you. Now get up and make your bed. All at once he stood to his feet, and when all the people of Lydia and Sharon saw him, they became believers in the Lord. Now there was a follower of Jesus who lived in Joppa. Her Arabic name was Tabitha, meaning gazelle. She lived her life doing kind things for others and serving the poor. But then she became very ill and died, and after the disciples prepared her body for, the, for burial, they laid her in an upstairs room. When the believers heard that Peter was nearby in Lydia, they sent two men with an urgent message for him to come without delay. So Peter went with them back to Joppa, and upon arriving, they led him to the upper room. There were many widows standing next to Peter, weeping, one after another showed him the tunics and the other garments that Tabitha had made to bless others. Peter made them all leave the room. Then he knelt down and prayed. Turning to the dead body, he said, Tabitha, rise up. At once she opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. And then he called for the believers and all of the widows to come and see that she was alive. The news spread all over the city of Joppa. All over, and, many, and many believed in the Lord. Peter remained in Joppa for several more days as a guest of the house of the Simon, Simon the Tanner. Father, I just ask that you will bless this word and that, God, you will just minister to our hearts. Lord, we thank you that your word does not return void and that, Lord, you will speak to us by your Holy Spirit, that the word that is spoken will be deposited that it be your words, and Lord, we just thank you that we can walk with you and see the surprises of God. In your name we pray, amen. It's interesting, in this particular chapter, it's very consistent. Luke is very consistent about how he's writing. He's talking about God breaking through. He broke through for Saul in the midst of being a murderer, and now, after all of that, he's still breaking through. And not just for Paul. We see it with Peter. We see that Peter starts to do the things of Jesus. And if you've noticed, those last two things that Peter, those last two miracles, are very similar to what Jesus did, both to the paralyzed man and to, the, man, and to the, the centurion's daughter. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But the principles here that I kind of want to talk about just for a second before we get into the main crux, and that is there's some characteristics of God that provide context for what we're looking at today. And that is, one, God is good at confronting our history and changing it. He did it with Paul at the beginning of the chapter, and he continued to change Paul's history. 
But it's interesting, Paul couldn't do it by himself. He needed people to believe in him. God can change your history, but people have a very difficult time changing it. They still see you as you were. But you and I, as believers, have to believe in what God is doing in each other. It's so, can I say this gently, sometimes our silence speaks louder than our words. When someone says something wrong about someone else, and we know the difference, we need to speak up. Just like Barnabas did for Paul. He may even ask you to put them in a basket and lay them (laughs) and send them down the wall. God is good at confronting our history and changing it. It's in the very first chapter of Bill's book. You do it with your children. It is uh, so important to understand that your history of who you are and what you've done is not who you are. It's not what he sees. That's a good word. Amen, Pastor. There is a, the second thing is there's a lifestyle of courage that honors God. Paul got it eventually, okay? And uh, Ananias, who went to see Paul, got it because he obeyed. Barnabas had it when he stood up for Paul. Peter had it when he ministers along the coast. Now, courage is not arrogance. But if you read the scripture out of this particular chapter, it comes from the fear of God and an understanding of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Courage comes from knowing the fear of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We don't, sometimes I haven't talked enough about the fear of God, and the fear of God is our reverence, our understanding that he is above everything. We don't mess with his holiness. We don't mess with his character. We honor it. We try to understand it. We worship it. And we'll see more of the courage in a few minutes. And then lastly, imitation is not just the best form of flattery or spirituality. It is a design for bringing great breakthrough. Imitation is not the best form of flattery or spirituality. It is a design to bring breakthrough. If you want to look at this, is that these stories are so close to what Jesus did. There's, it's almost, um, it, I know that Luke's setting Peter up for the rest, for what's about to come in the next chapter, but the fact is, is that there is a, there is such a imitation that Peter gives to Jesus. And I'm, I'm not just saying that, that, I'm not just using that as an example that it is a form, that it is a design, but all the way through our, our Bible, there is a call to walk like God. 
We are to be as children. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 talks about being imitators of God. And so we, it's, it's a design. It's, and, and quite frankly, sometimes the reason why we don't have continued breakthrough is because we continue to walk in imitation of the world. We get pain relief and then we go on doing what we've done normally and we wonder why this breakthrough didn't continue on is because basically we, we weren't operating in an imitation of Christ. Christ is the best and most awesome example of who God is and his relationship between himself and God. And as we imitate that particular relationship, there is a sense of reverence, of power, of anointing, of glory, of heaven on earth that can come into our lives. I'm not saying you, you it's not a form. It is a, it is a, it's an act of worship. Your worship isn't just here. Your worship is each and every day. And man, those are good points and they maybe have nothing to do with what we have to say. But let's carry on. A woman's worth. On the surface, the last miracle here looks like an ordinary miracle. I don't know about you, but maybe not. I, I've, I've never seen somebody get raised from the dead. If you believe the disciples had supernatural powers and if you think they would be faultless now that they have had the power of the Spirit, then it isn't a stretch of the imagination to think they're going to raise a few dead people now and again. But more is happening here. God's nature is being revealed through Peter's faithfulness. Peter knows God wants to interrupt his, this faithful woman's death. But why? Why? Just how much is one widow worth? It's easy to dismiss the arrogance of the past. We could say the ancient world had little regard for orphan and widows. But that would trivialize the question. How often are we visiting shut-ins at the old folks' home? How many of us have signed up for foster care? And sometimes we ask the scriptures a question, and sometimes the scriptures ask us a question. Just how important is this woman anyway? Dorcas was known for her charity and her good works. That was enough to make her known and beloved by the whole city. And sometimes we think simple kindness and generosity is not enough to change the world. Come on, let's be honest. If we looked at simple generosity and kindness, we, a lot of us would say, well, yeah, those are great qualities, those are great traits, but I'm not sure if it's going to get me to be celebrated by the world. 
Sometimes um, we neglect the small matters as merely unimportant in our life mission. We want to do big things, but many big people do big things, live and die, and nobody beyond their family bothers to miss them. But this woman's kindness and generosity reverberated through her, her whole community. If you ask God, what is the most important thing you have for me to do this week? What are you willing to hear? Because if he told you to go talk to the premier, you would think that was last night's pizza. If it meant talking to your boss, that one would have to be a need more prayer. What if it was just to bake muffins for your next door neighbor? Or maybe mow your neighbor's lawn. Believe me, that, that freaks neighbors out. I've done it. And nobody wants to be held in this reciprocy rule. It was fun at wintertime when I lived on First Avenue, and Jeannie will know, because I... I got this snowblower and I wanted to use it. But after I've done my, my driveway and I've got this sucker going, I want to carry on and do other things because I'm a man and I got a machine and I'd like to prove myself. <laughs> so I do my next door neighbor and I do my other neighbor on the other side and then I go and do Gina's because Gina was right beside. And the, the thing was is that uh, they never said thank you. <laughs> but one time, my neighbor on one side did my walk. <laughs> you see, there is something about showing kindness and doing something for someone else that speaks louder than anything you have to say. Or it could be stopping at the dog's park and picking up poop. Sometimes we're guilty of thinking our calling is beneath us. But Dorcas didn't. She made tunics and garments, and when she died, the people who loved her flocked to prove her goodness by pointing to the small acts of kindness. But Peter didn't think Dorcas had earned God's resurrection power. He learned how valuable she was from his master, Jesus. And here's the story, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, verses 35 to 43. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who asked, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. For he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler's synagogue, and they saw a commotion and people weeping and wailing. And when they had entered, they said to him, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? 
The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said, Talalath, tell, I can't say that, but this is Arabic for exactly the same name that Peter uses in Acts chapter 9. Talathakalakami, which means, little girl, I say to you, and immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, wants Jesus to heal his daughter. She dies before Jesus can get to the house because Jesus is preoccupied with an older woman with an ongoing issue of blood. And even though she's perpetually under, unclean under the law, she reaches out to touch Jesus, and instead of being shamed or rejected, the woman is healed. And even though the little girl dies, Jesus goes to the house anyway. Jesus is not discouraged by death. He mourns and he grieves, but he does not lose faith. In John chapter 11, verse 35, it says, Jesus weeps over Lazarus right before he raises Lazarus from the dead. Mourning does not move us into unbelief. May I say that again? Mourning does not move you into unbelief. It's okay to cry for those that mean a lot and are part of your life. You are allowed to feel the pain of your condition. God still wants you to, wants you to move in power. And though Jesus had no one to believe in him, he still brings Peter up to the room when he raises the little girl back to life. How does he do it? By saying the same words, little girl, arise. I don't know about you, but that's... Um, uses the same word. It sounds like an imitation, a form of imitation that's designed to bring breakthrough. Do you see the word play? Peter is still walking on the water. He's still looking at what Jesus did and he's imitating it. He's taking the life of Christ as a permission to do the same. Have we not said in this room that the testimony of Jesus is what? The spirit of prophecy. Resurrection power follows imitation. You don't have to be faithful on your own. Just copy Jesus. Jesus and then Peter affirms the value of these women, the ones at the margins of society, and the ones we used to, con used to condemn, the ones we presently neglect. Do the women in your life have to do something to prove their value to you? You know, when I say that, I think there, 
There isn't any man alive that would think that. But it's funny, there is. It's, it is tempting to look at the Tabithas in our world and judge them by their kindness and generosity. Do you tell your wife you love her before or after she does your laundry? Guys, sorry I'm picking on you. Do you fill your Mother's Day cards with all the ways your mom made you, your life better or do you affirm her for who she is? It's funny, it's easy to, I, when I read this, I think I, I don't get a chance to do that anymore because my mom passed away a year ago. But she, uh, she did more than just make my life better. She was a wonderful, godly woman who had her challenging moments but she was a great lady. And it's amazing, you know, as I look at things when, from a, a, a son that lived far away from my mom, and she was a widow, it was uh, very difficult or to have people visit with her, but we had one faithful one who came once a week. And all she did was sit down and she would take some of the pictures that were on our stream and she'd blow them up and place them on the wall. And it's interesting when you, you go to an, a home, uh, there can be a lot of cantankerousness. People complain that she shouldn't be allowed to do that and put pictures on the wall. But... She was able to enjoy her great-grandchildren because of that. It only takes just a little bit of time to make a person's life feel greatly valued. And here's the great surprise about God's new kingdom. He loves and honors women just as much as men. He has a place of leadership and honor in his world for them. And once Dorcas was raised, our text says Jesus called the saints and widows and presented her alive. There are saints among the widows, the marginalized and the excluded, the old folks who are living and dying without anyone to visit them, the foster kids, the neighbors who are far too awkward to spend time with, the lonely people who are looking for someone to talk to in the waiting room. What God does among them might feel small and trivial, but when love gets resurrected, the whole city takes notice. Verse 43 says, And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. 
Maybe your smallest acts of kindness will lead to resurrection power. All it takes is a small act of kindness. It's interesting that my wife loves to, for new people in the cul-de-sac, she will make something. Or right now it's lasagna. So we've taken lasagna to all of our neighbors once. And it's, it's a really different thing because some people want to know what you're doing it for. What? Why are you bringing me lasagna? This is weird. But that same couple came back to our door with their kids and thanked us. Another lady came back and asked for prayer. You see, you don't know what your small act of kindness will do. And to live in a bubble that you are by yourself, for yourself, in yourself, is a form of selfishness. And what I've also known, church, is that sometimes in this particular area, if we talk about just this body, is we get accustomed to the term family, but we're not got our ears to the ground to listen to the needs of the family. We, would, we, are, we, we want someone to reach out and to help us, but we think they need also a, a, a spirit of discernment in order to figure that out. I guess what I want, I want you to do, church, is there, this feeling of family is not just a title. It's something that you have to get involved with and get messy with. And some of you are doing that, and some of you need encouragement. Because when there's needs here, some people won't say it out loud. Yet, inside, they get disappointed because no one sees their need. I think I've said it. I need this. But then no one does it. Church, if we want to be able to meet the needs of those outside these four walls, we have to practice with each other. And I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are acts of kindness waiting to just... They need to be as back in the Old Testament when they told the Israelites to stop bringing all their jewelry to make the stuff for the tabernacle. They had to tell them to stop. That's the type of thing I think in this room is that if there was an, there was an overflow act of kindness, I believe that there is such a kindness in this place that could be just as powerful 
We kind of do it for, for mothers when they get their meal, right? But what's stopping you from doing it outside of that? Or maybe, I'm going to give another example. This is going to be, someone's going to take this and run with it. But at the meeting place, always in the summertime, we usually get a phone call from the city that says, your weeds are too long. Right, Gina? <laughs> but you see, there's, there's things that, that don't need to be... They, we, we live in this, this component of we think we, we know and we don't know. And for me, it's like I don't want to always have to bring it up and say, could, you, could someone do this? Could someone do this? Could someone do this? Because that creates a, a tendency to... To wait, wait to be asked in order for kindness to take place. And, and Jesus was not like that. The believers of the early church were not like that. And so I invite you to... So maybe God is setting you up to bring dignity and honor to the, to the woman he placed in your life. Maybe God is moving among the margins. And maybe a whole city will take notice when women are not measured by their contributions, but by the resurrection power God has placed within them. What is happening in your world right now? Are you understanding that your problem is the place that can bring the biggest outcome and arrest your history of lack? What is happening in your world? You see, the reason why sometimes we don't walk in kindness is because really we're so self-absorbed of what's happening to me that we don't, and trying to alleviate the pain, that we don't have an understanding of a bigger picture. And you have to understand that what's happening in your world deserves a breakthrough. The women that God has placed in your life deserve a breakthrough. Your acts of kindness can lead to resurrection power. They, it is, it's the design of God. Taking a look at what's happening, understanding that your problem is not your biggest battle, but it is the biggest outcome that will arrest your history of lack. He's doing it all the way through this chapter. Are you understanding that courage is not a feeling but a lifestyle of living in truth regardless of what is happening around you? All courage takes is an obedience to his call. An obedience that says, yes, Lord, I will do and bake those muffins. Yes, Lord, I will mow that person's lawn. Who are you imitating? Is it your friend's Facebook, Instagram page? A viewpoint of someone else's thought on life? 
We're so good at that. We, here's my viewpoint, and here's what someone said, and we put that on Facebook, and we put that on Instagram, and we, we pretend that we're living out someone else's thought on life. Are you living in the disappointment of someone else? The only thing we are asked to imitate in Scripture is Christ. Not someone's Facebook, not someone's thought, not someone's cree. We're only called to imitate Christ. The surprises of God are the moments of resurrection God wants to bring into your life. God wants to bring life to the things that speak lack, hopelessness, and death. We just need to receive it. To walk in it. and to value it. Church, I am believing through this series for surprises to come among us. But we have to get into the vein to the place where the surprise can happen. And sometimes those places are scary places. Ask Kayleen Shem for little Torin. It's not a very fun place. But God desires to break through to surprise our lives. For Lindsay and Chris, God has brought a great surprise. You see, unless I tell you about them, you may not know them. But you, as part of this family and this body, need to not just feel like it is a me-to-you moment, but it's an us movement that imitates Christ and we see breakthrough all around us. I am looking forward to the day that Allison can stand up and say, and I will Leave that for Allison, because I think we both know what that is. You see, Allison shouldn't carry that burden alone. She can carry it with all of us. Church, the surprises are on the way. The surprises are on the way. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Imitate Christ. And see heaven. <laughs>